Hey guys, welcome to The Crew, where each week Essence and I ask each other a burning question, playing to each other's strengths, and engage in some healthy debate and discussion. As always, we want to encourage you guys to join in on the conversation via social media or emailing us to let us know if we made any mistakes or if you have anything further to contribute. Additionally, we will mention in future episode segments anything that you guys have shared with us so that everyone can stay informed. Cue music. <laughs> Do we have to do our weekly wrap? Let's just do one because I'm sure one of them the nice up is trash, so might as well help. I don't know what's going on. I'm like slap happy right now. <laughs> Good for like podcasting um uh <laughs> energy. Yeah. Um do you have something? Do you have something? Yeah, I do. <gasps> a first I on the show. <laughs> so yeah, um my week was kind of trash, but it ended well. Um, one of my friends' birthday was when I was back home, so I couldn't actually celebrate it without like a Zoom call. So I was actually able to surprise her with a space cowboy theme because she's like a <gasps> geos major, and we were East, so it was space perfect. Space cowboy, <laughs> yes, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> so that's fun. I guess my weekly wrap is some of you may or may not know. I don't know who our listeners are, and if it's just my parents, <laughs> then you already know. <laughs> Um, but I'm currently in training to be a 200 hour certified yoga instructor. And so we, I've been doing it since September. So we're almost finished now. I'll be graduating quotes, graduating in March. So we have like two more weekends, but we've been having like random weekends, um, at least one each month, sometimes two. So today was our first like 30 minute practice teach. So they gave us something and we just had to memorize it and we had to give feedback at the end. And at the end of it, one of um, the people who was like in my group was like, you have a, a really relaxing voice. I mean, obviously I was like doing yoga, <laughs> but I was like, in my mind, I was like, oh, so for my podcast. Exactly. <laughs> I hope you promote it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, so my week was also pretty exhausting. So that's going to be my, uh, my highlight. <laughs> Thanks for Thanks for the voice. Uh, compliment to Neil. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out to Neil. <laughs> My girl. She hasn't been to like eight weeks of like the 12. So she was just like, just so you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I was like, you know what? Don't worry. I'll feel better about myself. <laughs> love that for you. I love that for me. I felt real confident. <laughs> all right. All right. So this week we have the VP and rom-coms, which... Um, Two of my favorite things currently. Not always. <laughs> Historically, there were some VPs I didn't <laughs> quite love. But uh, currently, I'm quite happy. So, Essence, my question for you this week is, what exactly is the role of the vice president? And what type of person is likely to become the vice presidency? Or like, except I know a lot of times it's someone who's in the running. So who's the type of person that's willing to be like, okay, I'll drop it out of the race and be your VP. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I watched a lot of Scandal. So, <laughs> <laughs> so then um, also, how has being the vice president changed since 
we first saw the role of EP, E.G. Hamilton, the musical, you know. <laughs> I love how all of your uh, your knowledge is from different media. I mean, I didn't see the vice president come into existence besides when I was watching Hamilton on Disney+. Plus. And I watched George Washington take a vice president. Did mm. that happen, actually? No, I'm questioning myself. Well, the VP changed, like, the entire way a VP is picked. You should just be the loser became the VP or the second whatever person that won. Yeah. So the loser um, would then be the VP. But now it is not like that because Thomas Jefferson, like, yeah, he hated working with Burr because they were in two different parties. Aaron Burr, like, didn't really have a party. He was just, like, looking for power. And they didn't work well together. And it didn't make sense that two people hate each other running the country. So, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it does make sense. I also do. Never mind. Right now I was thinking about Trump being the vice president. And I was like, you know what? I like our system. (laughs) I'm going to pull out of that statement right now. (laughs) <laughs> anyway i actually have a lot of questions that tie into this so i mean i'll probably have to re-mention them so like we've mentioned new vice president mm, madam vice president a first so first why is having a vp of color and a woman such a big deal besides mm-hmm. the fact that it's the first and what can we expect to see from uh, madam vice president harris Mm-hmm. So I think I'll start with the easier ones first. I think, <laughs> I think I'll start with like the first of the 10. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, the VP is an extremely boring position. So we're going to move through these quickly. I wish it was as exciting as Scandal, but it is not really. So Or Veep, sorry. Veep is the or other Veep. one I was thinking of when I was... <laughs> I think I was watching Veep, and that's when I wrote these questions. I was like, so who would do this? <laughs> well, I think what's actually, I've only watched the first few episodes that you forced me to watch, but in the first couple, like how she describes the role is really what the Veep is, or the VP is like. Yeah. So essentially, they have two functions. One is to succeed the president when they die, or if they die, or they re- resign or something, and they're just kind of like the backup president. Mm-hmm. And then the other function that they have is just to preside over the Senate, but they can't vote unless they have to break a tie. So oh, with Kamala Harris, like that is what's people that's what people are excited about partially, right? That mm-hmm. Democrats have the Senate now because if we're 50-50 and there's ever something that we need to break the tie over, she's Democrat. So obviously whatever they are trying to pass will probably happen. And so that's kind of the only two roles the VP has. Not a super exciting position. You kinda you're very much aligned to the president's wishes and what they hope to achieve. And I'll talk about this more, but it evolved. It's very much evolved over time. Like, what does that role look like? Another question and kind of like, A, how this is chosen, but B, there's a couple of things. But you know how, wait, you've only seen a couple episodes of Veep. But so like in Veep in each season, when she's the vice president, she has an agenda. She has something she wants to say that she did. I think at first one of them might be, oh, in the very first episode, it's like getting rid of plastic, plastic utensils or whatever. And then plastics industry gets mad at her and plastics is run by oil and so there's like a whole thing (laughs) but so i guess i was confused because i don't know of any like vp projects necessarily so like is that something traditionally that they do is that something that they're kind of like making fun of oh so actually yeah that's a a newer kind of evolving part of the role is that vps have a way more active role inside the in the cabinet than they did before and kind of i I guess like more recent examples i think you do know of these projects you just don't consider don't know that they're theirs theirs. exactly so (laughs) excuse me so for better or for worse we all know that 
Pence ran the COVID task force. So oh, that's true. an example. Yeah. So often big projects and sometimes like they might have an emotional tie to them. They worked on them when they were in the Senate or another office, et cetera. Sometimes like having someone that is an authority figure and also in the cabinet is extremely helpful and you don't have time to work on everything as a president. Mm-hmm. So Biden, basically his whole campaign was talking about Obama and what Obama had him do for four or eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so some of the things he did, um, he was assigned over like Iraq policy, which he gets a lot of flack for and et cetera, like for Dick Cheney. Yeah, I was going to ask about master of George I Bush. And I watched yeah. that movie together, didn't we? I think we did. Yeah, in the crew. Yes. <laughs> we watched the movie in the crew. Ah, full circle, full circle, baby. Yep. I was literally going to be like, because you know, like Dick Cheney, <laughs> didn't he? Yeah. Uh, wasn't he kind of influential? So <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. Just imagine. <laughs> Smidgen of influence. <laughs> Sorry, I distracted you. No, but I think, that, yeah, I think that's a good point to kind of say, like, they really didn't start having a role until kind of FDR. Um, and the 30 is that they were actually, like, not even a part of the cabinet meetings until then. What? Uh, yeah, so this new role of them taking up legislative policy or addressing different public health issues, etc., really doesn't start happening until kind of latter years of the vice presidency a segue into your next question is like what type of person would sign up to basically sit down for eight years and be in the shadow of the president especially when a lot of these cases like there are people who are actually running to be president and now you're kind of or like you resign from being a senator or a house rep or mm-hmm. a governor and like now you're doing nothing for kind of eight years yeah and so I, I think the most natural thing is like oh well like in eight years or when they're done, like, it's my turn. And I think, like, Kamala Harris, that's, I'm assuming, what she's banking on, like, she's a DA, a senator, and now, like, on the ticket, and now she's a vice president. And that's, like, a amazing pathway to presidency one day. Probably better than most. <laughs> I guess the, that's actually part of the reason I asked that specific question was because, I don't know if you remember, I barely remember the specifics, but before Biden had chosen his VP, it had come out that like maybe he was going to choose Kamala Harris and there was a lot of backlash and people were like, she's just, uh, she just wants to be president someday. And it was like, and I was like, yeah, isn't, isn't that why everyone wants to be vice president? Like, no, women can have ambition. What, what yeah, exactly. Mean? Too ambitious. She wants to be president someday. And I was just, I remember sitting there thinking, like, is there another reason why people would be vice president? Like, why is this such a big deal all of a sudden? Mm-hmm. Besides mm-hmm. internalized misogyny. <laughs> but uh, besides that. Yeah. So I, I sorry, to answer kind of that, I was looking back, like one, at least for me, very much in my friend group, we were like trying to bet who would be VP and why. And so I, I try to think of some of those reasons and look at past vice presidents to kind of come up with a list. And it's honestly, the, it's a consistent reason is that they're filling some gap that the president or the candidate doesn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that looks different every year. I think as more diverse people are running, that looks very different. What type of gap would you need? Or like to create a more diverse ticket, you have more diverse candidates. Uh, sometimes like if you're looking for to prove that you have like legislative power or that you kind of know policy and how to get through politics, like for example, Obama, like he was a senator for like two seconds and mm-hmm. was an extremely inspirational speaker. Like I'm not denying that, but didn't have a lot of political power, didn't have much experience at all. And then so Joe Biden, who's been in the Democratic Party since, I don't know, he's 20 or something, like he's been there forever. <laughs> and they paired, right? Like, and that, again, Joe Biden's not a diverse candidate, but he feels the need of having someone that's a heavyweight in the party running mm-hmm. behind you. That makes really sense. I just kind of thought, <laughs> that makes really sense. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> I was just thinking if you have 
I almost said a main character. <laughs> Sorry, I've been watching a lot of TV, guys. <laughs> when you said that changes, if now, like, the person running for president is black or a woman, then you're like, oh, well, gotta appease the old white guys. Because mm-hmm. um, that's, like, historically what's been there. But that's interesting that it wasn't necessarily just like, ah, he's an old white guy. But he's an old white guy with, like, political power in the yeah, Senate. Well, I think Joe Biden is also as much of problems I have with Joe Biden, like, he isn't necessarily, like, a Mitch McConnell. Not to say he hasn't been influential in passing a lot of bills. He has. And he's passed some pretty bad bills. But, like, he, I think, is a more low-key member of the Democratic Party that you kind of, like, don't realize he's as powerful until you kind of look back at the historical record. And then he has some moments. But I think he's a lot more low-key than the average person or white guy running for president. I think also... Do I bring up another TV show? (laughs) The Netflix show, The Politician. Mm. One of the opening lines is like, ever since Reagan, the presidency has been about like, I can't remember if he says cult of personality or something along those lines. Like he basically says that it's this, um, it's no longer just about like what you are in politics. It like has to do with who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. And I think there was also something really like fun that people loved about like Obama and Biden's relationship. Whether or not that's like necessarily like was real and authentic or something he did. Like, have you seen his, Obama's like YouTube video from when he was leaving office that he did? The one with the cookie? Cookie. Okay. No, not that one. <laughs> I'm like thinking back. It's when like, I, it's called like Couch Commander or something like that. And he's leaving off. It's really funny. Everyone should go watch it. It's his own video that he published. And he's like, what am I going to do after I like leave the, the White House? And he's like sitting on Joe Biden's couch. And Joe <laughs> Biden has 12 pairs of sunglasses laid out on a table. And he's like cleaning them all and obama's trying to be like what do i do joe like blah blah and he's like do you like these ones better puts on one or these ones and obama's <laughs> like joe they're the same and he's like they convey different moods i think that's something that was really fun about their relationship what did trump call pence embarrassingly poor or something like that like did you see this yeah you know what i mean like contrasting those two relationships mm-hmm. i feel like there was a lot of energy and excitement and joe that benefited joe biden a lot mm-hmm. The choice of your VP is so different in every ticket, right? Like, I think Donald Trump's example of who chose for his VP is drastically different, maybe, than why Biden chose Kamala. Like, for example, like, Pence was a a very conservative and well-known governor. And that's, like, that's a main reason why you're chosen, is that you have some political power and executive experience. Also, he brought in, like, Trump, like, despite having this base, like, was not necessarily known as being super conservative or religious. He kind of just seemed like he registered as a Democratic Party at some point. Like, it was confusing. And Pence kind of fills up a lot of those roles in the same ways. And I think in comparison, like, one, there were so many candidates this year for the Democratic Party. And no matter who he chose, like, there's a list of 20, like, at the end that we all knew, right? Like, all of them would have filled the gap in some way that I are very different and again like for example trump and pence that i know of didn't know each other that well and i think the same thing like kamala harris and biden didn't really know each other a lot like they insulted each other on a public stage at some point running for president like and now they're running mate yeah i kind of think it's funny like re-watching those videos and they really did go after each other more than most candidates did yeah i think that does I mean, obviously, if there's, like, an end goal, it's one thing. Like, okay, yeah, I'll be your vice president so I can maybe be, like, a leg up in the next eight years or whatever it is. But I also do like the fact that they can go at each other's throats and then, like, work together. 
Mm-hmm. And that's also like a unity, yeah, like a unity type thing. And that's like another reason I didn't bring up. But often, like if the party is extremely split, which is kind of demonstrated when twenty different people run for president, all with extremely different agendas in some ways, yeah. <laughs> there's some evidence that maybe there's some not consensus going on. I don't know yeah. the word for um, not consensus, so I'm just gonna say that. <laughs> There's a word and I can't even think of it. <laughs> lack of consensus. That's what people say. There we go. There's a lack of consensus. <laughs> There's a lack of consensus in this party. Nailed it. We absolutely crushed it. <laughs> and yeah, so I think that points to kind of more of a unity ticket. And I think, but she's really like rebranded herself as this progressive champion. Um, and in the Senate, I she kind of, she does sponsor many progressive bills. But during her time before the Senate and as in a role that in the DA is like a role where you can really play around with being progressive, especially when the legislature isn't working and saying like, no, like you can choose which things all the other DAs across the state are going to prosecute. And she just didn't do any of those things. Like her platform in some cases is very different then than it was running for president. But despite all that, she is and many people in the New York party call her like more of the progressive candidates that were running this election cycle. And I think as part of like a party unity type thing by Biden being kind of the most, one of the most centrist people on the stage and having her like it's somehow supposed to unite the party behind this one central figure to beat Trump. And I think that was kind of the motto was like, we're going to beat Trump and we're going to flip the Senate. Yeah. I think that's important because I think a lot of people don't realize that. And like, not that, what you did in the past has to reframe like how you are now. But I think it is if you were confused at what people were talking about when they were criticizing her for those things, that's specifically what they were referencing. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, let's see. So I, I, I guess most of it. So yeah, we touched yeah. on a lot of this, but I guess, um, and we, we talked a little bit of Hamilton, but so <laughs> obviously how the vice president has been chosen has changed. And what they've done has changed. Why is having a VP of color and a woman so revolutionary in this role? Yeah, well, besides well, obvious. Yeah, one, we've just never had a female president, right? And and I think the United States in particular is not known for gender parity and even like person of color parity in any um, branch of government, right? Like, you know, like there's just no, women aren't, in many developed countries, that's a very weird phenomenon that there aren't, there's not like a 50-50 split in women. And then mm-hmm. if you look among people of color, like it's also like not a great picture. And I think one, like having people that are in these roles is like relatively new. Like Obama was our first black president. And now we have potentially in eight years, we'll have our first female president. And it's been almost a hundred years, right? Since women could vote. And it has been, hasn't it? Wasn't it in 1920? Yeah. Yeah, so okay. we've been at we're at the hundred year mark. Nineteen twenty. <laughs> All my schoolhouse rock kids <laughs> know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then I guess before we'll like nineteen sixty is the Voting Rights Act when like people could actually vote, mm-hmm. right? Like we're yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're reaching landmarks. But again, like if you ask your grandparents, they remember growing up at that time, so it's really not that long ago. And so I think like one, it's just amazing to see that kind of progress in such mm-hmm. a short amount of time but also like maybe not amazing that it's taken so long depending which way you it. i think both are valid um and so i think that's one exciting and two i think if vice president harris it goes on the same type of 
like legislative agenda that she did in the Senate, I think that one, that's like super exciting for the party. Mm-hmm. Um, and issues that haven't really been addressed in the Democratic Party in a long time, like those will have a voice again. And I think that's also really exciting in terms of that. And also like young people seeing that a woman of color and like they can have these roles and it doesn't matter which one you choose, like they can be DAs, they can be senators, they can be mm-hmm. vice presidents now. And then they can beat like 20 other people who are old and there's just so many amazing <laughs> things that kind of fall into having someone like her in the role. And I think she's also just really relatable. And yeah. more so than that, like one, she's been able to craft this narrative of like kind of just being in California and then launching a successful, two successful campaigns. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of story creation is also. I think she's someone who, her like her speeches have been so inspirational. Her Instagram presence, like, I've cried sometimes on, like, some of her posts about, like, her mom and stuff. And I think seeing the village her mom emigrated from in India, like, throwing a celebration on Inauguration Day. It also, I feel like, okay, and not that I want to relate to Trump in any capacity, but but I feel... Like, both with Biden. I mean, Biden talking about his sons and, like, him and um, Jill and their marriage and, like, seeing their dogs, um, talking about their family, seeing their grandchildren. I definitely feel, uh, like, more represented by these people being in office than I did in, like, the Trump administration, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I just think, like, I am excited to see what they do and, Uh like who they are as people and how they interact with like world leaders and like joining the Paris agreement. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to the Pittsburgh agreement. <laughs> Did you see that tweet? Yes. <laughs> I lived in Pittsburgh, baby. That's where my mom's from. <laughs> I felt represented. <laughs> um, also, we, I did want to touch on really fast before we switch over because we recorded our Georgia episode prior to the election. And I think now is a good time to mention we now know who the winners are. It's my boy, John Ossoff. <laughs> Peace, love, John Ossoff. I think one, like everything we talked about in that episode, like it, it kind of happened. And, yeah. yeah. And everyone and all the players that made that happen, like, Honestly, it's amazing, like, getting all those new people to vote, getting people to care about the runoff election, especially knowing, like, they were designed purposely for people to lose interest mm-hmm. and therefore, like, the worst Republican candidate win. to win. Sorry, yeah. the Republican candidate to win. <laughs> <laughs> we respect all parties. Oh, yes. Your opinion, we just might not agree with it. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, and I know we mentioned, like, you know, Kamala being the breaking vote. That's why she's the breaking vote in the Senate. And Mm -hmm. so I just thought it was, we should touch on that a little bit before. Because continuity, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, I am really excited because um, both Warnock and Ossoff, first Black senator, first Jewish senator, both of them being very good friends and working closely with Stacey Abrams and really seeing... Stacey Abrams get the appreciation she's obviously so well deserved I do think though we need to remember um we don't just have to push everything off on a Stacey Abrams <laughs> you know mm-hmm. Stacey Abrams will take care of it she fixed Georgia she'll fix the rest of the country so uh grassroots baby <laughs> keep going <laughs> be your own Stacey Abrams <laughs> I love that yeah and also just like care more about local government not just the president local government <laughs> is so important because like yeah 
I guess in the grand scheme of things, if you don't vote, it doesn't matter. First of all, if everyone says that they don't vote, it doesn't matter. Then it really matters. <laughs> um, but in your local government, you can really make a change. And it doesn't even have to be like necessarily through politics, you know, food banks, um, doing something, helping with like homeless, like with your parks, doing like after school programs or like, I don't know, get creative, whatever you're passionate about. Like you can find a way to make it local. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Essence is the queen of that. So, Am I? Uh, <laughs> Essence? if essence and i hadn't met i probably wouldn't i mean i was involved with like some forms of like leadership and like being involved with this college i wouldn't have said i was like a wallflower by any means when it came to like constitutions but essence from the get-go is like on the most important committee in the entire school and um definitely has like only expanded from that and like really made lasting change and i think like if that's your community like you can do it in your school you know mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be, like, in the town you're in. It can just be, like, making things better for others in your own institution. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I'm dancing. I can see. Uh, I was telling them people who can't. (laughs) Oh, I forgot they can't see. (laughs) Okay. So, my question for this week is rom-coms. And why are people so obsessed with them? Um, and I'm primarily asking because I had never watched a rom-com until talking with you, and I think you had a lot of persuasive reasons as to why rom-coms could be fun to watch and, like, what they could highlight about people more generally, so I'd be interested to hear more thoughts on that. So, to preface, because I remember having this conversation with Essence. I don't actually remember the points I had, but I remember I was in a rom-com binge and had been going through a breakup. So I probably had a lot of of, uh, ideas at the time that hopefully you remember some of them if I do not. I've just been like doing my own little kind of like research. And I thought this was, I mean, our last episode was definitely more of like a discussion and banter episode, which I really enjoy with you because that's more reflective of what our general conversations are anyway. But I kind of, I know I was telling you to watch rom-coms, A, because I had just re-watched He's Just Not That Into You, which I hadn't seen in a really long time. And if the audience doesn't know what that movie is about, rom-coms, actually a lot of rom-coms, um, like I think it's Love Actually, Valentine's Day, New Year's Eve or something like that all have this really weird format a lot of times where like all these people have interconnected lives, but you're following like 12 different storylines, but like two of them are just friends at work or something. And like two of them are kind of bros, but like they're both related to people who know other people that know each other through work. It's always (laughs) kind of odd how like they decide to do this. And I found it really interesting, the premise of the movie, because it's kind of like, Throughout our whole lives, girls aren't really honest with each other, mostly because, like, we're always told from a young age that if a boy is mean to you, it means he likes you. And so when you're older and someone's ignoring you or someone's playing hard to get, well, we say they're playing hard to get instead of just being like, oh, no, he doesn't like you and kind of moving on. And that leads us to kind of romanticize disinterest in a way. Mm -hmm. And... So I kind of wanted Essence's opinion, I know, on that in general. What else do what else do I say? Like, please enlighten me, because I'm I'm happy that I had an impact and I don't even remember it. 
Um, well, I think one that, and I think well, one that many people do watch rom coms. Mm-hmm. Like, and even if you like me, kind of don't see a lot of value in watching them. I think it does impact the way that, like, women primarily, because I think we're just culturally more inclined or introduced to them more than mm-hmm. anyone else. But more like, I think it does have something important to say of like, that's how we see relationships and like how we view our relationships with men and each other in some ways. I think we should just backtrack a little bit and establish what a romantic comedy is officially. Um, because I think people think of very specific things when they think of romantic comedies, you know, like Sleepless in Seattle. Um, but so a romantic comedy on Wikipedia is described as a subgenre of comedy in slice of life fiction, focusing on lighthearted, humorous plot lines centered on romantic ideas, such as how true love is able to surmount the most obstacles. And one dictionary definition is a funny movie, play, or television program about a love story that ends happily. And that that's really key to what I'm going to talk about in a little bit, especially because the way I think TV and movies nowadays have for the most part, kind of moved away from the happy ending. Mm -hmm. I think people really like directors, you know, actors, this idea of life doesn't necessarily have a happy ending. So why am I going to give every movie one? Right. But sometimes if you want a nice distraction, you don't want to end a movie crying. And I think romantic comedies, you always know like, yeah, there's going to be this, there's going to be a problem there's going to be something sad. There's going to be a challenge, but like, you're always going to watch them overcome that in some capacity, like whether or not they end up together. Isn't necessarily like the happy ending. Like if you've seen, isn't it romantic? She does kind of end up with someone, but like the ending is her being like, wait, I choose me and like leaving. (laughs) Right. And, but so in the same way, you know, that's a movie that like makes fun of romantic comedies and does a great job doing it. Um, you know, the clumsy lead girl who just everyone thinks her clumsiness is so cute and adorable and xyz but um i think romantic comedies traditionally always do have that like feel good ending that gives you hope which like we don't always have in this day and age (laughs) um but i actually found this really interesting article and it's kind of the not the opposite of what we're talking about it's a different lens um And kind of what it was talking about is how people like eye roll and look down on romantic comedies as movies. They'll say it's like a guilty pleasure or they'll be like, I don't watch romantic comedies. Like they're kind of, I don't want to say ridiculed necessarily, but they're not taking it seriously compared to other films. Mm -hmm. And so this author for Glamour wrote that. I'm going to quote her. Um, Romantic comedies are as good as any other genre. And an eye-rolling, self-aware, ironic, reluctant embrace of them makes you look insecure at best, sexist at worst. And basically what she was kind of saying is movies like Animal House, where there is a lot of jokes about women, like date rape kind of jokes, are like laughed at. And they say like, it's a satire of a party school, like as if it's a really deep movie. But people look at like, You've got mail with Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan and make fun of it and say, like, this woman's so silly. Like, she thinks men should do these things and kind of saying how there's a shame with liking the wrong movie in that in that dichotomy or those two movies, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so that 
there's like really good storytelling. There's really great acting. There's a lot of really cool things that come out of romantic comedies. And so to cons and especially because they're typically female centered and like targeted for females consistently like disparaging them is actually like kind of sexist in a way Mm -hmm. especially when we have movies like wolf of wall street which everyone was like it's gonna win an oscar and it's like leonardo dicaprio being an asshole for two hours you know what i mean (laughs) like (laughs) and, and not that i don't like that movie like it's a fun movie to watch it's really it's a really interesting critique isn't necessarily the right word but like it gives you it is a critique and it gives you some insight on like something that is typically kept pretty quiet in um, not kept quiet but you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it's a lifestyle that so few people get to live and so I thought that was a really interesting look on things she kind of also brought in a lot of um the the women's novel like a lot of Jane Austen works that are thought of as being like mm-hmm. not as great literary works because they're focused on women in love lives as opposed to being like Dante's Inferno. I mean, not that like Dante's Inferno and Pride and Prejudice are like on equal footing or they're like on completely different footing. It's just kind of something that she mentioned how like one of them is looked on as being like sillier than the other. So that is going to be included in the description if you're interested in reading a little bit more about that viewpoint. But so something I think we can kind of talk about is because I've watched romantic comedies for so long. I mean, I enjoy them. They're really fun to me. Like, I love comedies in general. And then to, like, add a fun little love story on top is always nice. But I guess I kind of want to hear a little bit more from your perspective because I was like, watch Clueless. I think I had you watch Clueless, right? Yes. I don't know if I watched Clueless, though. Okay. Clueless is – I made a list of some of my favorites. I mean – I don't know if you actually have favorites, but if you want to talk about some of maybe the ones you watched and how you felt about them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so I kind of have... Or if you also want to just respond to something I said there, because I just kind of said something that we haven't talked about before. Sorry if I kind of like moved along from that conversation. I think, I mean, I, I do like how you're pointing out the fact that a genre that is mostly meant for a female audience, like there's inherent like power and a good thing that we're making stories like that in some way and you're right like it is a genre that's immediately looked down upon or like like, considered silly like yeah or guys being like we're gonna go see we're gonna see a chick flick Mm -hmm. you know what i mean those are constantly referred to as being chick flicks it's actually really funny my brother came home and he's like, oh, I'm really into romantic comedies like (laughs) i didn't watch it for a while but i had him like we watched a couple together and he is. He's, like, really enjoyed them. Um, but I think it's something that, like, guys are told if they like romantic comedies or chick flicks, like, they're somehow less masculine, mm-hmm. which is stupid because it's a movie. That's <laughs> like, a literally a comedy movie. <laughs> oh, I feel like there's two, like, genres of rom-coms that I like. One is I like ones that have really good dialogue, and I think some of the older ones have that. Like, when Harry met Sally, and I feel like there's so many great dialogue scenes. And also, like, she's just such a great great female lead. Mm -hmm. And just rom-com or not, like, I don't think you can deny that. And I think, for me, I think think that it's interesting that she, like, leads her own life. And, like, the whole movie is basically her, like, challenging this other guy. And I think that it's such a great... I don't I love that movie. That's also on my list of one of my favorites that I have for later. And I think also something you said is really interesting. Sorry, I want to get back to your point. But the way I thought you were going to divide it is first, 
divide this at first was like old school rom-coms and like modern day rom-coms because I do feel like a lot of older rom-coms have this idea of like poor lovesick gal who can't find a date handsome man who like isn't interested he's a playboy does he like her we don't know (laughs) there's my summation of like 14 different movies and you don't know what I'm talking about (laughs) um or my summary but um what was your other category oh and my other category is like somewhat taboo relationships in some way like I feel like I really like rom-coms that are about like friends with benefit relationships etc because I think one they're like usually hilarious just because they never well, yeah, not in real life. They never work out, but like in the movies, they never work out. And you know that going in, but you still question it until the end comes. Yeah, and I always think it's funny because even they always have the same plot. Like they could be different, exactly. movies, but they're always the same. Of like, I don't want to be in a relationship right now. Neither do I. Let's just be friends with benefits. Oh no, I'm catching feelings, but I can't tell them. And I'm catching feelings, but I can't tell them. And then there's like some blow up where they're rude yeah. to each other. And then like they're together forever. And then someone's in Grand Central Station holding a sign. <laughs> I think, yeah. I also, to go back, this, I was going to make this point about when Harry met Sally. Something I think is really interesting is they didn't make them like on again, off again romantic partners their whole life. Mm-hmm. Like they were just friends for a really substantial time. And then it kind of like blossomed into a romance, which I I didn't even think of when Harry met Sally necessarily in that light of her, like just going on living her whole life, challenging Harriet. I also, now that I'm looking at my list, tend to like movies that include like really strong female characters because my list is clueless, which I don't know if I had you watch, but, you know, Cher, she's just, like, she does her own thing, like, she's really just, like, she's the alpha girl in, like, her friend group, and she kind of, like, it's based on Jane Austen's Emma, actually, um, and then Legally Blonde, obviously, Elle Woods, (laughs) one of my favorite characters, and, you know, like, how she turns down Warren at the end, like, ends up winning the whole case, like, a great movie, um, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which has Ramona Flowers, how I, did I make you watch that one? Mm-mm. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, especially m- me and my brother. But um, the guy is played by um, Michael Sarah, and he's like super awkward, like so into her because he thinks she's so cool, and he's just like making a fool of himself. <laughs> and but my other ones are When Harry Met Sally, Mamma Mia, and Crazy Rich Asians. Interesting. Yeah, which I didn't think about until you mentioned kind of the like stronger female lead, but definitely all of those have in some capacity like a very self what's the word I want self-assured self-assured female Mm -hmm. lead also the one I included in here that I encourage everyone to watch if you haven't because I discovered this movie like I'm not sure how recently maybe it was my sophomore year or junior year called about time have I told you about this movie I don't think so I was going through my tv just like watching movie trailers sometimes I like to do that there's this movie called about time that had Rachel McAdams in it AKA, you know, Mean Girls, like mm-hmm. The Notebook, very famous actress. And I was like, what is this? So I read the description and it says something along the lines of Tim finds out on his 21st birthday that the men in his family can travel back in time. He uses it to find love. And I was like, what? <laughs> this sounds like the dumbest plot I've ever seen. But I also saw the other people who were in it and like Margot Robbie was in it. <laughs> A really good cast. And so I sat down. And thought I would just laugh for two hours. 
it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Like, it might be in my top wow. three or top five. Because, like, yeah, the time travel is, like, supposed to be this funny kind of com- – it's the comedy component of the movie. Basically, he can only go back in time to, like, events in his own life. Mm-hmm. And so his dad is, like, you have to find something that um, you're passionate about. His dad used it to, like, read every book he ever could. He's, like, you know, money won't make you happy. So, like, you have to find something that's really going to make your life worth living. And mm-hmm. so he's, like, well, I really want a girlfriend. He's, like, this really awkward guy. So he – keeps going back in time to try and like restart conversations where he's messed up with girls <laughs> and like he ends up meeting Rachel McAdams and it's one of those movies that's kind of about nothing in a way do you know what I mean yeah I, I mean at least in some of these movies you know Elle Woods is trying to solve a law case while she's in law school or Scott Pilgrim versus the world trying to like he's trying to defeat her several seven evil exes so he can date her I can't really tell you what the plot line is other than the fact that he's like going through life Mm-hmm. But the eventual message of the movie is that he stops traveling back in time completely and just lives every day as if it's his last time getting to relive it so that he always lives like each day to the full. It's like it ends up having a really sweet and kind of inspiring message, which is something I think rom-coms do a really good job of in the sense that they do provide hope, but they always have some sort of problem that... And they're yeah. relatable movies for the most part. I mean, I know I mentioned some that are like not the most relatable, but for the most part, you know, these aren't movies about superheroes or right. like a Game of Thrones or some supernatural type of thing. These are like regular people typically having regular problems. So it's mm-hmm. very easy to like relate to them. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I also think like going back to your earlier point, other movies that just portray, like somehow portray normal life don't receive the same type of flack as a rom-com. Yeah, that's a really good point. Mm, I didn't even think of that. And I I didn't even really know about this idea of like how rom-coms get so much flack. I never really questioned that prior to today. But now that I'm thinking about it, it is really crazy that like disproportionately these movies that feature strong like strong female leads for the most part end up being taken so much less seriously than movies with like I mean again I'm talking about you know like a wolf of wall street like I'm trying to think of other movies with like very strong male leads um like a like Like, an inception Yeah, that's a really good example because isn't Fight Club kind of just a male rom-com? Not a rom-com, but you know what I mean? Like a male com? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's a weird way to describe it. (laughs) A male comedy. It's not really a comedy per se. I I guess because I I included a link with like 250. um, This is the Rolling Stone, but that one only has 50, which I'll include as well. Like the top rom-coms. And let's just see some of the ones. Like I want to see how many have. Number one is When Harry Met Sally, of course, because, like, <laughs> how could that ever not be? Pretty Woman on there? Oh, yeah, that's frequently on here. Um, the Philadelphia Story is next from 1940, which I actually don't know. Broadcast News is number three, don't know. His Girl Friday, again, don't know. A lot of these are from, like, the 40s. Wow. Oh, Clueless is number five. Not surprised. I've, we need to watch that together. First of all, it's, it's really fun knowing that it's based on Emma and then watching it because at first you're kind of like, it's really odd that like Paul Rudd is her stepbrother and they kind of have a romantic <laughs> attraction. And then you realize like Emma is like mm-hmm. the relationship. And so 
it makes a little bit more sense. Like you're a little bit less confused as to why the person who wrote Clueless chose to do that. Oh my gosh, what we should maybe talk about is this trend on Netflix of like teen rom-coms. Yeah. With like, because let me tell you, I've watched a lot of them. <laughs> They're not the most, not the cinematic masterpieces that some movies are. But let me tell you, they are entertaining <laughs> and they have great music. But I think it's really interesting because Netflix, Hulu, definitely some other streaming services have really taken on this trend recently of trying, of taking books that have been written like normal people, tall the boys I've loved before. But also there is a website called Wattpad. Do you know about Wattpad? Yeah, like fan fiction. Yeah, exactly. But it's kind of like, I think you can use it for fan fiction, but people can also just write stories if they'd like. Mm -hmm. And then people can comment and critique their stories. And like, it's kind of to give feedback and like, you can follow them as well. But so the kissing booth and another story, I think called after. um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, which were both made, were both based on Wattpad stories. Mm. And so it's really interesting to me that not only are adults writing teen movies, but streaming services are actually going to services that like younger, I mean, the pe- the person who wrote The Kissing Booth was 15, Beth Rickles, when oh, she wow. first wrote it. Yeah, and I think the person who wrote After was also a teenager. So it's young people writing these in which you can tell kind of when you (laughs) I mean it's not the most like progressive story you know like Elle wears a short skirt in her first day and a boy grabs her butt but bad boy Noah who gets in (laughs) fights defend honestly I should just do a series of me summarizing (laughs) rom-coms um and they fall in love but they have to keep it a secret because Noah's younger brother is best friends with Elle and he has a rule no one can date his sibling like, but let me tell you, I've watched that movie many times. <laughs> it's really fun to watch. The guy who stars in it is um, the guy who was Nate in Euphoria. Mm-hmm. And so that's how I like first knew his character. And I mean, he's kind of like, I don't want to say he's like said bad things about the movie, but he like, they know what kind of movie they're in. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's brought them a lot of fame because like teenagers love it, obviously, but I don't know. How do you, do you have any feelings about kind of the content that's being produced on these streaming services? I mean, yeah, I think you pointed out something that's definitely skewed more towards more basic plots and perhaps younger audiences. But I will say something that's interesting is that unlike a lot of other genres, I feel like rom-coms still are not super diverse, but I'm more talking about like a a lead character, like not like a secondary character. Really? Wasn't there, um, not to say that you're wrong, you're definitely like correct in the fact proportionally, there are definitely more, but I feel like Netflix definitely, I'm just going on Netflix right now to see, Yeah, came up some, I feel like there were a couple movies that recently came out that did have, sorry, I'm trying to find without it playing random things. <gasps> 17 again, how did I not put that in here as one of my favorite movies? I love a young Zac Efron. <laughs> Oh my god, Catch Me If You Can is considered a rom-com. Which one is that? I feel like I've seen that one. Um, it's the one, it's based on a real story. It's the reason that um, bank, like, checks have those, like, barcodes at the bottom. Because this guy learned how to forge checks and basically just, like, went around the U.S. and 
like would forge a bunch of checks, pretended to be an airline pilot, forged like a Harvard law degree and mm-hmm. like a medical degree and like <laughs> did all these like crazy stuff until they ended up catching him and then um, recruiting him to help them find like figure out a way to make banking safer. I think sometimes the reason that also rom-coms get a bad rep is because they're looped in with these like random Hallmark Christmas movie kind of esque stuff. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Those like, <laughs> I do think Crazy Rich Asians is a phenomenal movie. My family will know I went through a Crazy Rich Asians phase <laughs> early in the pandemic. I couldn't watch anything but that movie. I just found it so funny. Nothing else seemed to like. When I started watching it, I was just like not entertained. I ended up buying all the books. But that was, I think, the first movie to have an entirely Asian slash Asian American cast, wasn't it? I think it's just like color of cast. Cast of color. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? Sorry, say the fact. I don't think it's only Asian. I just think it's a total POC character or cast. Oh, I thought because when we were in JA training, it had just came out, and I thought they said it was an entirely Asian and Asian American. Maybe cast. I just thought it was more broad. Oh, maybe it is, but I mean. Also, I mean, I mentioned that movie in my thesis, just how well that movie did. It proved that, you know, in the past, people have used the justification that, you know, people of color leads in films are largely POC cast, just like won't do as well. And that's why we need white people. And I think that year, having a lot of female leads, having movies like Black Panther and Crazy Rich Asians do so well proved that, like, I don't want to say diversity sells, but like people want to see diversity, if that makes sense, in in their films mm-hmm. and in their con- not content, but like what's produced for, by the media. I am glad that we've gotten to have this discussion and that I influenced you to try a new movie genre <laughs> and appreciate it. You know what I mean? That I wasn't like, hey, watch these, and you were like, she's crazy. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode, you guys. If you're able, please rate or review our podcast. It really helps other people find us. And stay tuned for next week's video, which is going to be Dystopias and Defund the Police, which Essence and I are super excited for. So see you guys in the crew. Thanks for listening. Bye.